Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, did you see the elephant in church this morning? He said, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, I don't mean, of course, a literal elephant. We use that expression, and there's an elephant in the room when there's an obvious issue or a problem that we, nobody really wants to talk about. And this morning, you see, we we looked at the incredible blessing of belonging to Christ's church. And we noticed from Scripture, didn't we, that Christ is gathering how many churches, children? How many churches is Christ gathering? He's gathering one church. He's not gathering many churches. He's gathering a church. And we notice that those who belong to this church, believers, they all equally share together in Christ. And so what we saw this morning from Scripture was the truth, the the teaching, Scripture's teaching us the, the unity of the church. And as confessing Christians this afternoon, we, when we read the Apostles' Creed and We confessed that unity. But the elephant in the room is that overall, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of unity in Christ's church, does there? I mean, when you think of all the different denominations there are, when you think of all the divisions there are among confessing Christians, where is the unity? Don't we have to say that unity in the church, unity among Christians in general, is sorely lacking? And that's not just a problem out there. It's not just a problem across denominations. It can be a problem even within a denomination. It can even be a problem in Christ's church at a local level, among Christians in the same congregation. It can be a problem and a struggle even among us. I remember some time ago a minister saying to some others, a consistory, observing the the level of unity there was among them, and he encouraged them to thank God for this unity. And he said this, because unity is a fragile thing. You see, it doesn't take much, does it, for arguments and fighting and divisions and conflict to come up in a church. It's a fragile thing. And when, just like when you drop a plate and it smashes into a thousand pieces, when unity is broken, it's very hard, very hard to restore. Perhaps we're tempted to think maybe it's just something we have to live with. I mean, We have a hard enough time maintaining unity in our own families sometimes. And so maybe we're tempted to think, you know, unity in the church, that's just impossible. It's just a reality. We we just got to learn to live with it. But do we? Is disunity among Christians just an unavoidable reality that we should accept and get used to? The answer of our text is very clear, congregation. No. In Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5, God through Paul is clearly calling us to unity. 
He's calling for us to reflect the unity of the church with unity in the church, especially at the local level. It's impossible to miss that when you, when you look at verse 2. What does Paul say there? He says, Fulfill ye my joy. How? That you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, what is that? Well, that's a call. It's a call for unity, isn't it? It's God calling His people, yes, also us, here in Bethel Free Reformed Church in Monarch, Alberta, to unity. Paul hinted at the need for unity already a few verses earlier at the end of chapter 1, which we looked at together a few weeks ago, several weeks ago. He said in verse 27, Only let your conversation or your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in what? In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he hinted at it already then, but, but now this morning as we pick up our series on Philippians again, we, he fleshes it out even more in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul makes a very clear call for unity in the church. And we need to be clear, so this is not talking about unity at the expense of the truth. This is talking about unity among Christians. And so with God's help, we want to consider this passage, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5, under the theme, God's call for unity in the church. And we'll see first why we must seek it, secondly, what it looks like, and thirdly, how we get and keep it. God's call for unity in the church. Why is unity in the church something we need to be concerned about? It's an important question. It's a good question. Why must we seek Unity. Well, our text answers that question, especially in verse 1, as well as the first part of verse 2. God, through Paul, gives us here the basis for unity in the church. He shows us the conditions which demand, really, unity in the church, unity among Christians. If there be, therefore, verse 1, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. What Paul is doing here, congregation, he's giving us, if I can summarize it, two main reasons. Two main reasons why we must seek unity in the church. The first reason is this. The great love God shows us. The great love God shows those of us who are Christians. That's what all those if statements in verse 1 ultimately refer to. They, they ultimately refer to the Christian's experience of God's love in Christ by His Spirit. Paul's saying, he's saying, if you've experienced the great love of the triune God, if you've experienced consolation or encouragement in Christ, if you've experienced the comfort of love, the comfort of God's love in Christ, if you've experienced the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, if He has come to dwell in you, to comfort you and show you the things of Christ and, and bring you into fellowship with the Father and the Son, if you've experienced the bowels or the, the deep affection and mercies, the tender compassion and mercies of God toward you, 
then be like-minded, be united, have unity with each other. In other words, Paul's saying if you are a Christian, you must seek unity in the church because of God's great love for you. You see, every Christian, every believer is a recipient of God's great love. Every Christian has a relationship with God in Christ by His Spirit. Every Christian is in Christ, united to Christ by faith. And every Christian has been given consolation in Christ and the comfort of love and the fellowship of the Spirit and the deep, tender mercies of God. We may not all feel these things to the same degree, but every Christian has been given these things by God. If you are a Christian, if you have turned from sin and you are looking to Jesus for your salvation, you have been given these things. Despite your sins and your sinfulness, God has loved you in Christ. He has blotted out your transgressions for Christ's sake according to the multitude of His tender mercies. And as your Father in Christ, He continues to lead and uphold and guide and guide you in repentance and faith. And he continues to pardon and forgive and comfort. He shows you his great love for you. And he does that for every one of his people. But how then can his people not love each other when God shows his great love to each of them? How can they be divided? How can they not be united? We must seek unity in the church because of the great love God shows us. You see what this means, beloved? It, it means that when we're not seeking unity in the church, when we're not seeking unity with our brothers and sisters in the Lord, then there's something seriously wrong. It doesn't mean that every conflict is easy to solve or even able to be solved quickly, but it means when we're simply content to be divided, when there are conflicts between us and we just shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's just the way it is, then there is something seriously wrong. Either we've lost sight of God's great love for us, we're not walking with Christ as we should be, or we've never really known it in the first place. We've never really experienced the love of God in the first place. Either way, it's a serious problem. If you confess to be a Christian, if you're confessing that you are trusting in God and in His great love and mercy in Christ to you as a hell-deserving sinner, then how can you not love? How can you not seek unity with others who confess the same thing? How can you despise and how can you ignore and criticize and fight with those whom God loves? The Apostle John put it this way to Christians in 1 John 4, verses 10 and 11. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, this is still God's Word speaking, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's one way you know that God dwells in you, John goes on to say. 
That's one way you know that you really are a Christian, when you love others, especially your fellow believers, even when they're hard to love. Dear fellow Christian, God's great love for us means we must love each other. We must love. And notice that word, it's love, not tolerate, not tolerate, but love our fellow Christians. We must seek unity in the church because of the great love God shows us. But we must also seek unity in the church because of the fellowship in the gospel that we share. And maybe you say, where do you see that in the text? Well, look again at verse 2. Verse 2. What does Paul say? He says, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded. What is Paul saying? He's saying, make my joy complete. What joy is he talking about? He's talking about the joy he has for the Philippians' fellowship in the gospel. Look back at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. What does Paul say there? Listen to what he says. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with what? With joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. That's, that's what caused Paul to pray and thank God for the Philippians with joy. It was their fellowship in the gospel. They shared Paul and the Philippians. They shared together in the gospel. They had a shared faith in Jesus Christ. They had a shared devotion to Jesus Christ. That's what gave Paul joy. That, that, that fellowship in the gospel they had. And now Paul's saying here, make that joy complete. Show that fellowship by being united with each other because of your fellowship in the gospel. And that's still true today, congregation. When we are Christians, when we are believers in Jesus Christ, sinners who need Christ and who depend on Christ for our salvation, we have a fellowship in the gospel. Just like we saw this morning from the Catechism's Confession concerning the communion of saints. All and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of Him and of all His riches and gifts. Christians have a shared fellowship in the gospel by faith in Christ. And it's because of that fellowship we have in Christ through faith that we must seek unity in the church. If we're not seeking that unity, if we're, not, if we're living content to be at odds with, with one another, how does that demonstrate the fellowship in the gospel we confess to have? It doesn't. As Christians, we must seek unity in the church because of the great love God shows us and because of the fellowship in the gospel we share. Those are pretty big, pretty solemn, pretty weighty reasons to seek unity, aren't they? It means that if you or I, as a confessing Christian, are not seeking unity in the church, then don't we need to seriously question our confession of faith? Don't we need to seriously ask ourselves whether our faith in Jesus Christ is real? Doesn't that call us to some serious self-examination? And yet at the same time, congregation, when we do know the love of God in Christ, when we do have fellowship in the gospel through faith in Christ, when we've been brought in to the church by grace, by what an encouragement that is to seek unity with each other, 
Because it gives hope, you see. It gives hope in the pursuit of unity. Because these are the very things, the things that Paul talks about, these are the very things we need to enable us to seek and to have unity, to find unity. God's not calling us, you see, to create unity. He's created it for us in the gospel, in Christ. No, he's not calling us to create unity. He's calling us to demonstrate the unity that he has already created. And by his love, you see, by our union with Christ, by his spirit dwelling in our hearts, by his deep affection and mercy toward us, he gives us all we need to do exactly that. He gives us all we need to demonstrate the unity that he has created. Isn't that so encouraging? But maybe you're thinking at this point, okay, I, I know we must seek unity in the church, but, but what is this unity that God is calling for? What does it look like? Well, that brings us to our second point. What the unity in the church that God calls for, the unity that we must seek looks like. Paul says in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded. That's what unity in the church looks like. It looks like being like-minded. But what does that mean? Well, it means literally setting your mind on the same thing. Having a shared mindset. Living and working together as a team. It does not mean... And we need to understand this, congregation. It does not mean that we all have the same opinion on everything. I'm not saying that because I want to water down unity or, or even the truth. No, I'm saying that on the basis of Scripture. Because if you look at other places, a Scripture calls us to be like-minded. It's very clear that it does not mean having the same opinion on absolutely everything. Of course, there are fundamentals that we need to be absolutely agreed on. But Paul's assuming that. They, they, they already have that fellowship in the gospel. But there can be different opinions. And in Romans 14 and 15, Paul raises the matter of different opinions that the Christians there in Rome had about things like what you could eat or, or about whether you should hold to certain Jewish feast days. And it's very interesting. He doesn't tell them as he addresses this issue. He doesn't tell them they all need to have the same opinion. He actually says, let each of you be persuaded in your, fully persuaded in your own mind. And yet at the same time, he tells them instead, he tells them not to despise each other. Not to judge each other. He tells them to be considerate of each other and to love each other, to be careful not to cause each other to, to sin by what they do. He tells them to bear, bear each other's weaknesses. And then as he wraps up this whole matter in, in Romans 15, he prays, he prays that they be like-minded toward one another. It's the same word as here in Philippians 2 verse 2. So being like-minded then cannot mean everyone in the church must have the same opinion on exactly everything. But what it does mean is this. It means that we should not be living, we should not let those different opinions drive a wedge between us. We should not be living in a tug of war in the church with some trying to pull one way and, and others trying to pull another way. No, we're to work as a team. That's what unity in the church looks like. It looks like being like-minded, living and working together as a team, setting our minds on the same thing. Be like-minded. 
But maybe, maybe you still say, well, that sounds nice. But what does that, what, what does setting our minds on the same thing really look like? Well, the, the rest of verse 2 tells us. It describes three different aspects, three different characteristics, you could say, of this like-mindedness, of this shared mindset, this team mentality that God calls us to. In the first place, it means to be united in love. Be like-minded, having the same love. We are to have the same love as fellow Christians. What is the love that Paul is talking about here? He's talking about the love that God commands. So having the same love means striving together on the basis of God's love, of course, for for us in Christ, striving together to love God with all our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. And striving together to love each other as ourselves, even as Christ has loved us. Being united in love, living together in wholehearted love to God and unselfish love to our neighbor. That's that's one aspect of the unity God is calling for in the church, also in this church. That's what we must be seeking. We must be seeking and striving to have the same love, to be united, congregation, together in love for God and for each other. And that means that we must not be content with simply outward forms of unity, like when we gather together in worship. And we must not be content merely to have no major conflicts, major arguments going on in the church. That's all important, of course. But the unity God calls for is deeper. He's calling for us to have the same love in our hearts. He's calling for us to be joined together in a wholehearted love to God so that we also live together in submission to His Word, under His Word. And He's calling for us to be united together in loving each other unselfishly, not merely tolerating one another, not even merely giving a greeting to each other or shaking hands with one another, but loving each other, caring for each other. And not just for those whom we get along with easily. Not just those whom we work with. Not just those whom we're related to. Or those even with whom we agree on certain issues. But all our fellow Christians in the church. Also those with whom we don't agree about certain things. We're to love unselfishly our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, whether or not they share our opinion about church times. Whether or not they, or whether they choose to send their kids to school or they homeschool. Congregation, God is calling us to seek unity, and that means seeking to have the same love. Are we seeking? Are we actively seeking that? Being united, being like-minded involves having the same love and it also involves being committed, being committed to one another. Verse 2 says, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. Now in some ways that sounds almost the same as just being united, but literally, the word literally means to be completely united, united in, in soul or in spirit, you can think of the word sometimes we use as when you're soulmates. When you're soulmates. And that implies, that kind of unity implies being committed to each other. It reminds me a little of, of David and Jonathan, children. Maybe, maybe you know the story of David, how he killed Goliath. 
And what happened after he killed Goliath, we're told in, in 1 Samuel 18 that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David and he loved David as his own soul and he made a covenant with David. They were committed to each other. That's the picture here, being of one accord. It's the kind of unity God is calling for that, that, that's not only having the same love but being loyal, being committed to each other, sticking with each other. And what will that look like in practice? What won't it look like for one thing? What it says in Hebrews 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. But won't it also mean not forsaking the one who wanders, the one who goes astray, but praying for them and seeking them and confronting them in love? And gentleness? What won't it mean weeping with those who weep and, and rejoicing with those who rejoice? Won't it mean being patient with each other as we study God's word together and, and seek to, to, to understand what it's saying together? Won't it mean seeking to live in such a way that, that doesn't give the, even the appearance of evil, that doesn't make others to stumble, to think that well, they did that, well, I can do that too. Won't it mean refusing to slander or gossip and refusing to listen to slander and gossip, but rather than seeking to defend each other and encourage each other in the Lord? That's what David and Jonathan did. Being united, being like-minded means being committed together to, to one another. Are we? Is that what we're seeking? Is that what you're seeking? That's what God is calling you and me to seek, beloved. That's the kind of unity he's calling us to. He's calling us to be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and one more thing in verse 2, of one mind. More literally, setting our minds on the one thing. In other words, the unity, the shared mindset that God is calling us for also involves being united in focus. We're not just to have our minds set on the same thing. We're to have our minds set on the one thing. What is that one thing? What is that focus that we are, we are to share? Isn't it Christ? Isn't it Christ? That was Paul's focus, wasn't it? For me to live is Christ. That's what he confessed in chapter 1, verse, verse uh, I lost my, verse 21 there. That was the one thing he had his mind set on. His, his mind wasn't set on his own comforts. His mind wasn't set on his own rights. His mind wasn't set on how other people were treating him. His mind wasn't set on pleasing himself. His mind was set on Jesus Christ alone. Christ was Paul's focus in life. Living by faith in Christ, knowing Christ, delighting in Christ, proclaiming Christ, living for the glory of Christ, living to reflect Christ, imitate Christ. The Christ revealed in the word of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Paul was obsessed with Christ. His whole life was all wrapped up with Jesus Christ. That, that was his focus. And that's the focus, congregation, that God is calling us to have together in the church. We must seek to have our focus on Christ. Does that describe us as a congregation, beloved? 
I don't just mean in the preaching, but in our conversations, in our daily lives, in our homes, in our families, in our work, is our focus Christ. In our, what we do with our friends is our focus Christ. If we are Christians, it should be. That's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to unity. He's calling us to be like-minded, to live and work together as a team, sharing the same love, being committed to each other, and sharing, having Christ as our focus. That's what unity in the church looks like. That's what we must seek. But this kind of unity congregation is not automatic. So how in the world do we get it? And how do we keep it? Because remember, unity is a fragile thing. How do we keep? How do we get and keep this unity? Well, that brings us to our third and last point. Look with me here at verses 3 through 5. 3 through 5. Paul says these words, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's how we get and keep unity in the church. The first thing we need that Paul mentions is radical humility. Verse 3 is emphatic. Let nothing, absolutely nothing, be done through strife or vainglory. What does that mean? That means we're not to think, we're not to speak, we're not to do anything out of selfish ambition. That's the word, what the word strife here refers to. It's not just referring to, you know, children when you have squabbles with your siblings, your brothers and sisters. You're fighting over something. It's referring to the root of that. The self-seeking behind it. It's referring to the the, the inward desire to just benefit yourself, to, to win at all costs, to make yourself look good no matter what happens to anybody else, even at the cost of tearing others down. And our text is saying that to get and to keep unity in the church, that needs to go. That needs to go. And so does vainglory, empty conceit, pride, arrogance, the attitude that says I'm better than other people, People who are filled with vainglory, people who have vainglory are basically what we would call today people with big heads. People who think they know it all, people who think they know best, and they're always right, and everybody should listen to them. And just by the way, that doesn't just, that's not just something that some people have. No, strife, vainglory, selfish ambition, pride, arrogance, it's in all of us by nature. And our text is saying, for unity in the church, those things must not be allowed. Selfish ambition and big heads, they have to go. Those are the things that create division in the church. So what attitude must we have instead? Well, Paul tells us in the second part of verse 3, we must have radical humility. We must have lowliness of mind. That doesn't mean being all down on yourself in a self-centered sort of way, you know, kind of the, um, just a failure sort of, no, that's not, what, that's not what Paul's talking about. 
What Paul means by lowliness of mind is, is really an attitude of submission and service. He really explains it, doesn't he? In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. It's an attitude that is, considers, that regards, that treats others as better than yourself. It means to have an attitude that seeks honor for others, not, not yourself. It doesn't worry about how you're honored, but you're, you, you seek to have others honored, to put others up. Maybe you know the story, children, of how the mother of two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, how she came to Jesus and she asked him to give her sons the best places in heaven, right on either side of Jesus. Wouldn't you like a place like that? But you see, by asking that, she and her sons were really displaying the strife and the vainglory that Paul talks about. And you know what happened? The other disciples got mad. It created division. You know what Jesus said? He said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus was calling his disciples' congregation to this humility, this lowliness of mind that Paul is speaking of in our text. And that's what God in our text is calling us to do in regard to each other as fellow Christians. In order to get and to keep unity in the church, we must have radical humility. And we must show radical self-denial. As verse 4 teaches us. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It's not saying, congregation, that we should go and meddle in each other's business. No, it's saying that for us to have unity in the church, we each need to deny ourselves. Every one of us must not be looking out for ourselves as number one. We must not be consumed with ourselves and our own interests. But rather, we're to deny ourselves and to be looking out for the things of others. Caring for others, seeking to bless others. Yes, even those who maybe we don't see eye to eye on every issue. We must have radical humility. We must show radical self denial. In congregation, it's always easy to think, well, that's exactly what that person needs. We need to be pointing the fingers at ourselves, in our own hearts. Do you have that radical humility? Do you have that radical self-denial? How are we doing in this congregation? How am I doing this? How, how are you doing in this? You know, I think if we're honest, we have to agree with Calvin, and I loved his honesty here and his, his commentary on this passage. As he was talking about this kind of humility, he said this, if anything in our whole life is difficult, this above everything else 
is so. It is, right? If you know yourself. So how in the world can we do it? Where can we get this radical humility? Where can we get this radical self-denial? It's not by looking in ourselves, congregation. It's only by going to the place that Paul takes us next, to the cross of Jesus Christ. And as you go to that cross, not the cross that you see, you know, in in churches sometimes that look nice and, and, and pretty and all of that, but as you go to the cross that's revealed in the Gospels, the cross where the Lord Jesus was hung, where his hands bled, as you go to that cross and you, and you see the, the agony that he was in, as you go to that cross and you, and you enter into that three hours of darkness, as you go to that cross and you hear the Lord Jesus crying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As you go to that cross and you begin to understand But that cross is there. And that Christ is on that cross because of me. Because of my sin. Because of my selfish ambition. Because of my arrogance and empty conceit. It's because he... Then you begin to learn... The humility that you need because you see yourself for who you are. A wicked, a rebellious, a filthy sinner. And you see the Savior. And you see the Savior. And you look at him, you look to the cross. You not only look to him, and you, but you also learn from him. As Paul says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to describe for us the radical humility and self-denial of Christ. We're going to look at that more next week. That's how you get the humility and the self-denial we need for unity in the church. It's by going to the cross. God calls, us, God calls for unity in the church also here in Bethel Free Reformed Church. So let's seek it by God's grace because of his great love for us, because of our fellowship in the gospel. Let's seek to be like-minded, being united in love, being committed to one another, focusing together on Christ. Yes, with God's help, let's seek to do nothing through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than ourselves, looking not out for each for our own things, but each of us also looking out for the things, the interests of others. Let's find each other at the cross. That's That's the key to unity. Congregation, if we have not shown this humility and the self-denial that we are called to show in this text, then let's not continue in that way. Let's repent of our sins. Let's seek God's forgiveness through Christ. And he will forgive us. 
because Christ humbled and denied himself so radically even to the death of the cross so that every sinner who comes to him in repentance and faith may receive complete forgiveness of all their sins and be made new by the power of the Spirit and begin in lowliness of mind to follow in Christ's steps. May God help us. Amen.